So if you're worried that all the talks were like last night, don't worry. Um, <laughs> some people didn't like that. Um, but um, I'm still going to ask you guys questions. But it won't be as, um, as philosophical. But before I get into today's, I want to recap why yesterday mattered. Because the whole point here is having a right disposition, right? Like of having a right mindset in our approach to God. And so if you don't, if we don't have an understanding of what that looks like, right, or even how to choose, then nothing makes sense, right? Because if you don't know what is the nature of my relationship or what is it I'm supposed to do, then you don't know how to assess whether what you're doing is going well or badly. Um, nor will you even have a right relationship with God because you don't even know what his expectation is, is from you. So it, yesterday wasn't the finale of that topic, but it was to get us on the, on the right mindset of there is such thing as good, okay? And that goodness is, is, a, is a being, um, and that goodness is an identity. It's not, it's not a philosophy, right? If you reduce, which I think is one of the things we do today, if you reduce your Christianity down to just a philosophy, um, it's a pretty crummy one. Like, the only thing Christianity has going for it, and as far as I'm concerned, is, is that it's true. Because if it, if it weren't, it, it would really suck. Um, otherwise, you're, you're deprived of a lot of things, right? And the same thing with health, right? There's a lot of things we would rather do but we don't because of it. So I'm not going to rehash all of that from yesterday. Um, today's lecture is more about what's, what's bad. Um, and, and to have a, a better understanding of what it means about sin and repentance and what that means about my relationship with God, because I also want that fixed because of certain mentalities that we have. Before I ask you a billion questions, I'll start with a question, um, which is... <laughs> Um, when I say sin or repentance, because I'm trying to do this more, um, what do you have in mind that you would want to, that you would want to, I'm not promising I'm going to get to it because I'm not very good at a lot of things, but that you would want to hear about or have clarified at some point in, in this lecture or during the lectures? If you think about those things. Sorry? For sin and repentance? Yeah. When I say those words. Oh, cool. Life long repentance. So sometimes we repent, but we go back and do the sin again and repent again. So how can we live and our entire life like doing that? Okay, good, because that's actually in the talk. Okay. <laughs> how can we live lifelong repentance? I'm going to show this to you guys at some point, but I'm trying to write better this way. Okay. Anyone else have something else that was on their mind that they're hoping would be touched on? Marianne. Regret. Very nice. That's very nice. Um, anyone else before I attack you? How to repent in 30 seconds? Oh, that's easy. We will do that one. But more is better. Um, repent in 30 seconds. I know you're joking, but there's actually an answer to that. Um, <laughs> I'll give it to you in about three. Um, okay, then I'll start asking you guys questions. Um, what do you think of when I say the word sin? 
When, when someone says the word sin, what, what do you think of right away? What's your immediate association? Oh, devil, evil. Okay. Weakness, disobedience, I heard in the front from George. Sorry? Missing the mark. Missing the mark. Fall. Fall, like the big fall or personal fall or both? Both. Both? Okay. Big and personal. All right. Fear. Fear. Good. I was actually going to ask, are there any emotions that you guys have with it? Away from God. Sorry? Darkness. G guilt, darkness. Good. Emptiness. Darkness, emptiness. Lack of virtue. Lack of virtue. I won't be so aggressive today. Um, <laughs> these are really good answers. Um, anything else? Um, what do you envision God, if we could give God feelings? Um, traditionally, how do you think you've been brought up to feel that God feels about your sin? Betrayed, disappointed. Disappointed. Hold on. Angry. I missed one. Somebody said something over here. Forgiving. Why? Okay. Um, probably so has I'm a nuko. Merciful. Okay. Um, right off the bat, before we get into it, what do you guys think repentance is? Change your mind. Change your mind. Return back. Acknowledgement of guilt. Okay. <laughs> I like you. <laughs> We're on the same wavelength. <laughs> Acknowledgement of guilt. <laughs> also, which? Also, love. Love. Anyone else? Okay. Um, I'll put these up for now, and I'm going to steal the board again after. Sorry. I like this board thing. It feels like grade four. Um, the next question you don't have to answer for a long time because we don't need to rehash the talk from yesterday. But I want to. I'm asking it because it's why. Why would this talk is second and not first? What is it to do right from a Christian perspective? Briefly, instead of me re-saying it. What does it mean to do right from a Christian perspective? If none of you know, then yesterday was an epic failure. <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> Marianne. Okay, go a little bit further than that. Yeah. Yes. Okay, and the reason why I'm saying go further than that is because 
I want us to, um, in terms of re restructuring how we think, right? Like, is to walk away from understanding this as a commandment. Um, because it, it is a commandment, but it's not a commandment. Because in modern colloquial language, commandment comes off more as, um, I have decided to order you to do X, right? Versus a natural commandment, which is, because of your nature, you must do X, right? And that's, that's the differentiation that I want to make, right? So, yes, you're saying that doing good is to conform myself to the identity of God. It's to actually claim my identity, which is the image and likeness of God, right? And I want to make it very clear that what we're not saying is we're trying to turn you into something out here that you're not. It's something that you already are. You are already in the image and likeness of God. Every human being baptized or not baptized is created in the image and likeness of God, okay? And so we are trying to recover health because we've lost it through whatever, but health is the natural state. And so that's important. So why, what is it to do good? It's to be as God is, period. There's, there's no gloss over that. Everybody clear on that? Okay. So then what do you think it is to do wrong from a Christian perspective? Yes. Precisely. Okay. What I'm hoping to do in these four days is to show just really how ridiculously simple Christianity is. Okay. And simple doesn't mean easy. But in terms of a concept, they're very, very simple things. Right. Wrong is to not do good. And goodness is the image and likeness of God. So it's simply to go against it. It's like saying what's health and anything unhealthy is whatever is not health. Right. We don't have a list of non-healthy things, because you'll have a never-ending list of non-healthy things, and you'll also have a never-ending list of healthy things, right? And so that's not a good way to function, especially because I think culturally, uh, one of the most common questions in confession or guidance is, so, like, would it be a sin if I, <laughs> and then insert whatever it is, right? And it's like, but what if I didn't say it like that, per se? <laughs> Or if I did, like, and you're looking for these things, which means that you're looking at a legal script of, like, a more Islamic view of, like, halal and, and, and haram, okay, of permitted and prohibited. I mean, like, does this, is this the prohibited list, right? How can I move it to the permissible list, right? And so, but if you view it as identity, you're recognizing that your sin is not even just against God, it's against yourself. Um, so let's move away from the legalities. Um, so here's a more philosophical question, but not like yesterday's. Um, what is it that I'm supposed to be able to do as a human, as a, specifically as a Christian human? What is it that I'm supposed to be able to do? And it's vague on purpose. God's work. God's work. Okay. I'm collecting ideas, and, I, and I'm gonna, if I'm going to disagree now, I'm going to actually disagree and not play devil's advocate. I, I agree with you. What do you mean by God's work? Okay, excellent. What else? What is it that I'm supposed to be able to do? Love like God. Love like, sorry? God. Excellent. 
okay, to love like God, which is to participate in his work. Um, and I'm glad that we're on the same wavelength. Everything in light, that's very nice imagery. Um, is patience for everyone? How many of you think yes and how many think no? How many think yes? Okay. Uh, how many of you think no? Why? I ask patience, not tolerance. That's the right question. <laughs> yeah. No, and I'm, I'm, I'm being a jerk on purpose, and I know you're a thinker, and I've read your, you right. Um, so is I'm intentionally talking about a virtue, okay? Um, and I won't get into the nitty-gritty of patience, because that could be its own lectures. But I'm, I'm choosing a random virtue, because my question really is virtue for everyone. Yes. Okay. And so I'm, I'm avoiding a long talk because I'm going to ask a lot of questions further in the talk, and that's why I'm not doing a long one here. Because if you think virtue is for the elect, then you actually have an identity crisis. Because you're actually saying that the good fruits of health don't belong to me who ought to be a healthy person. And it's one thing to say they don't belong to me right now, another to say that those shouldn't belong to me. Right? And so if saying that I'm presently unhealthy, so I'm not, I'm not enjoying this health benefit, that's, that's normal. But, in, but if you're saying, no, 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 no. And I'm saying that because I think many of us think that virtue is something that's out here that we extract and we put inside, which is the opposite of what St. Anthony says. Right? St. Anthony talks about virtue by saying, virtue is already inside of you, and your sin is what's cloaking it. And we're going to get to that, where he's saying, you already have all the virtues, but your sin is what's blocking it from being there. You're not patient because you are, insert a whole bunch of vices here, right? You are not peaceful because you are self-willed and, and proud, right? You, and, and, and if you extract the vice that you're doing, the virtue shines out, right? In the same way that if I stop, if I'm, um, I'm allergic to everything and it's mom, if I stop eating the thing that I'm allergic to, I feel good. Right? But I didn't extract goodness to my body from outside when I stopped eating something bad for me. Right? It's something that's already intrinsic to me. Um, so here's my question then. Because most people's problem when it comes to sin is, is about rules. Um, what does it mean about my value okay, if I'm restricted? If someone says to you, you can't do this, what does that mean about my value as a person? Am I not trusted? Am I bad? What does, this, what does the restriction say about my worth or value is what, I'm, is what I'm trying to ask. It could be. So it could be that you're not restricted, but you are. It could be. What else? What? If, if you're suddenly told you're not allowed to do these things. Christine. That you're just, like, you're the, the, the puppet. You're being told what to do, kind of. You're the more inferior being. You're inferior. Okay. 
I like this language. What do you think? If someone says you can't do these things, what does that mean about their valuation of you? They're not trusted. Not trusted, OK. Not qualified. And in terms of not qualified, because you're using um, less strong language than inferior, um, what do you mean by it? Like, do you mean it like in an objective way, or, or like, is it a negative or positive? Like, what does it? Like, there's a standard, and you have not been at that standard. So, for example, this retreat has an age, right? You can't come to this retreat because it's a certain age. So, you are not qualified to come to this retreat. Great example. So, with that restriction, what does it mean about people who are not of the age? I like that, whatever the intention was. Okay. And what does it mean about the valuation of them? Not that they are not a valuable person, but rather that they, just, they don't have certain standards that they should, like before the president or anything that people should like. So, for example, you can have a convention looking for married couples, and rather than anyone else, doesn't mean anyone else is not valuable, but rather they are, they are not meeting the standard for what is being looked for. Okay. So you're saying there is a situation in which it has nothing to do with value. I don't think it means that the person is not valuable. It just matters like it's not a standard. Right. But I'm just saying that there exists a situation where it's, there is no evaluation being done. Would you agree or disagree? Just repeat it again. That there exists a situation where, has, where there's no evaluation at all. Like it has nothing to do with the value. Okay. So we're agreeing. Go ahead. What if he YouTubes it? <laughs> uh, probably not. Uh, if they're not one's not more valuable than the other. Okay, so you're saying that the restriction in that case doesn't mean anything about value. No. Okay. Excellent. Okay, let me flip this around. What do the restrictions mean about what I value? Explain. What I am asking what I'm asking two questions in one. If I'm restricted, what does it mean about what I value, and that can go in two directions. It can continue from the first question of my reaction to the restricting on me, and it can also be about what, what does it mean about I value if I accept or not accept a restriction. Well, I was going to say that my values have to stay within those restrictions. Why? Because then you're wrong if you're not. Explain. Yeah. I'm still technically wrong because I'm going to 
Okay. So let's move away for a second to right and wrong. I see where you're going with this. And my question now is, what is it that I'm valuing that leads me to have a feeling or an emotion about a restriction? Sorry? Okay. I'm not doing a good job at this. Um, <laughs> so I'm imagining if the person is accepting of that restriction, then they would probably feel kind of like their values being fulfilled by, by complying with it. But if, they, if they're not accepting it, if they feel like kind of belittled by it, it's, it's not in line with their values, like the restriction, then at that point it's like they feel belittled, like they feel like their value isn't. Okay. So now I see what mistake I'm making because this made it clear to me. Um, thank you. So what I'm trying to get at is when there's a restriction on me, I'm going to have a reaction to it, whether the, whether the restriction is coming from outside or it's something that I put. My question is, based on how I feel about the restriction, what does it mean about the things that I think are important? That's what I meant by the word value here. And I realize that value has multiple. What does it mean, like, my reaction to the restriction, whether self-imposed or put on me from the outside, my reaction to it, how I feel about that restriction, what do those feelings say about what I hold to be important you or value? Sorry? How you view yourself. How you view yourself, yes. So what does it mean when I, about my valuing when I have a restriction? So we've talked about what does it mean about the third party where we said, for example, if they put a rule, it might mean they're evaluating you, it might not, it might mean that they think you're qualified or not. It, there's a whole bunch of possibilities and they're all possibilities. Um, and I'm saying now look at it from your perspective, not the other person's perspective. From your perspective, what does, what does it mean about you as, as, as a person? Precisely, okay? I just, I want us to get there together, right? Is that how I feel about it? Because um, I'm someone who hates on feelings a lot um, because I think we're too emotivist like we talked about yesterday. However, feelings are important, okay? Because you shouldn't be governed by a feeling, but feelings are indicating to you something about you, right? Your feelings are indicating what you value and don't value. You, you should pay attention to your feelings. Not be run by them, but they tell you something, right? If I'm angry, it means there's something that I value that I didn't get. It might be my opinion, it might be an action, it might be a permission to do something, right? But there's something that I want that I didn't get. When I'm impatient, the same thing is going on. If I'm excited, it's showing you a positive thing that you value, right? It's being like, oh wow, you really like companionship, or you really value um, loyalty, or you really love knowledge, but your, your negative or positive emotion is a reflection of the thing that is that you value, and you ought to pay attention to them, okay? Now, um, so your emotion about an ability or a non-ability to do something shows what it is that you want, and that's important, because when we're gonna talk more about repentance in, in, a, in a few minutes, is to you, you have to understand that concept, right? And so because a lot of Christians struggle with this liking something but not being allowed to do something as though there's something wrong with them. And that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. And we're going we're gonna to come to that. So then I guess a, a simpler question to get to that aspect is 
why can't I do whatever I want to do spiritually? I agree completely, but I'm still going to play devil's advocate um, because I want to. I want to get to why it's dangerous because you immediately said that's dangerous, <laughs> right? So and and so you said because then you're making yourself a god. I agree. What's the problem with that? Have I not said you are all gods? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question, but it's just, I think it's just the idea that, like, you're supposed to be only looking at this one person. You're supposed to be imaging towards this one person, not be the person yourself. And that's the reason. And that's the reason, right? Um, And I'm saying, I I want you guys to be able to articulate it precisely, even though you know it, like, you clearly know it. I want you to be able to articulate it precisely so you understand what's going on. Okay, we, we, we're coming from generations where it was okay to just receive. Our generation needs to understand, okay, and then in our own context. And so the danger of it, because like, that's why I said, well, I could be a god if I want. But the danger is that, from, we said specifically from a Christian view, is that there is an objective identity. That was the whole point of yesterday. There is such thing as an objective identity. And that is the reason why there is a restriction. And that's why I'm asking a question about value. Because if I understand that, in choosing something, I am unchoosing something else. And natural restriction is already a consequence. Like, like it's, it's, it's impossible to be both. I can't say I want ice cream and have ice cream. This is why it took me literally like 30 years to understand that expression, you can't have your cake and eat it. Um, I was like, you can't have cake and pie, you mean. Um, I'm like, no, cake and eat it. Because you can't have the cake in front of you. Sorry, this is my personal issues coming out. Um, <laughs> you can't have the cake in front of you and eat it and not eat it at the same time. You're either eating it or not. It's consumed or it's not. And so there's a restriction always placed because of a choice. And so with spirituality, why can't I do whatever I want? It's because you have an identity, an objective identity. It's because health exists. If health didn't exist, this is why St. Paul says in Romans what a lot of people think is him tearing apart the law, and he is. And he's saying the law is useless. But it was so necessary and it's so holy and we still live by the law, but not that kind of law. But don't live by the law, but live by the law. That's why for four centuries you've been fighting about Romans. Because he's saying if without the law, you had no idea what holiness was. Right? There was no ruler. Yes, I'm obsessed with that analogy. If you don't have a ruler, what's a straight line? You can't define a straight line without uh, any straight line without there being the existence of a ruler. There has to be that. Right? And that's what health is. That's what holiness is. That's what righteousness is. That's what goodness is. That's the ruler. And if you don't have that, then anything on this side that you're doing could be a curved line, could be whatever. You have no means to say right or wrong. 
And so your valuing or not valuing of it depends on how much you care about your identity. So another way of saying it is, let me ask you a question. How many of you are angry that you cannot fly like a bird? I don't mean like get on an airplane and, and fly. But how many of you are angry, genuinely, from day to day, you wake up and you're pissed at the world <laughs> that you are unable to fly? Are any of you? If you're not too scared to say it now. Dan Hunnins. Because it's ridiculous. No offense, Dan. Because it's you literally being angry at your identity. Right? It would be like, I can't believe I'm not a bird. <laughs> and, and any rational person might have been being like, yeah, I understand. I think your frustration. <laughs> Flying is really nice, and I can only, it must, must be, I've never experienced it, but I'm sure it's exhilarating for those birds. But I don't know how healthy it is for you to live your life in regret at your lack of birdness. Because th that's dumb. So, on the You could be, except that image and likeness is everyone. And so everyone is that. And so we, we can rejoice at that. So what I can look at is that, and this becomes a vice or a virtue, uh, when I look at somebody who's more healthy than me, because they're more in line with their identity than me, I may or not have positive or negative emotions. And those could be, those could be good or bad. They could be sinful or virtuous. Um, and the way to find out would be to hold it against the image and likeness standard by looking at the ruler. So, so can uh, so can the ruler have multiple units of measurement? Can it have different lengths? Is there a standard in someone's identity? Is it such a fundamental thing? Or is it something that can be interpreted in multiple ways depending on the individual? The standard is the same. The application may vary. Right? You have many different kinds of athletes, and they're all athletes, and they all have certain principles that they go by. That's why if you look at Christianity, Actually, we don't have a lot of rules. Humans are speaking a lot about rules. Christian humans are speaking a lot about rules. Um, and don't worry, I'm not like a, a closet Protestant here saying, like, get rid of the system. Um, although there's something to that, um, to be very, very honest. Um, but what I am saying is that the measure is virtue. And what I'm assessing is where am I going from or not from virtue. And so that's why I was saying yesterday, um, in response to some of you saying there's objective and subjective, I saw you somewhere here. Anyway, um, you and someone else. But it's to also say that, all right, I know that I'm supposed to be um, courageous. I'm going to make up that that's a, a fundamental virtue. It's not. But like, let's pretend it is. So I'm supposed to be courageous. Well, that's going to be at different levels for different people, but courageous is the same in the sense that for one person, it takes a lot of courage to get up in the morning and go to work. That's a real thing, right? Whereas for another person is to go in front of a whole crowd and speak. But same thing for, for virtue is that for one person, they're not struggling with patience with their parents, for example, whereas for another person, every time their parents speak, it's the most aggravating thing in the world. Right? And so they are actually exercising more patience, actually. 
um, just because of where they are from a state of health, right? But as we approach the image and likeness, everything becomes more, more unified. But the ruler is always the ruler. The ruler never changes, right? And so the, a spiritual guide, which we're not going to talk about right now, is, is supposed to help you conform yourself to the ruler, not to him or herself, right? The minute that anybody is being conformed to something other than the ruler, something's gone wrong, objectively. Something's gone wrong. Does that answer what you're asking? Cool beans. So why can't I do whatever I want spiritually? I hope the answer that is very simple, because there is an objective spiritual right. It's that simple. Right? And, and I'm going to drill it and drill it and drill it and drill it. Because this, this is, if you don't get it, you're going you're gonna to struggle more. So if you understand that, you'll view freedom completely differently. Okay? Like, okay, I have a disease, literally, where I'm allergic, like I said, to like everything and its mom. So I can view it as the most restrictive thing. I can't eat this. I can't eat this. I can't eat this. I can't go here. I can't use this material. I can't be in this temperature. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. So I can view that as, here's a bunch of rules that got put on me. There you are with objective and subjective. Um, I can view it as um, a bunch of rules, or I can say I've been liberated from illness. It depends on how I want to view it. I can view it as, well, now I can breathe again. Now I can be energetic again. Now I can have pleasure in a completely different way again. Or I can view it as, well, here's a list of rules that I'm, that I'm allowed. And I'll sometimes use that language. Right? And so this is why I think Christianity ended up with some rules of, or language of rules, is where it's like, oh, well, you can't do that. But what, what got forgotten sometimes in the transmission of those rules is that they're not rules. They're natural. They're, they're, they're things that go against your nature. Right? It's, like, it's like a diabetic person Right, saying to them, you're just not allowed to have sugar. You could view it as a rule. Right? Or you could view it as sugar is bad for me. In my case, sugar is bad for me. And so depending on how I view those, right, shows what I value. That's why I asked you about values. Because if I value health first, then my decision follows naturally. But if I value pleasure first, that's why I disagree with happiness being the goal. Because if I put happiness first, then objectivity comes second, which means that truth matters less than my preference, which goes to your point of saying, I put God second. I put me first. I become God. Is that all clear? Is that too philosophical? Capiche. Um, so asking why, I'm, I want you, whenever you have the question of, am I allowed, to ask yourself the question of, am I asking a question of identity? Because the answer is always going to be yes. Okay? And so if you're upset about what you're asking about, then ask yourself, am I mad that I can't fly? Just always have that as a question. And there are some days where the answer to that question, as ridiculous as it is, will be yes. Okay? Where some days I'm like, yes, actually, I do wish I could fly right now. And that's, and that's fine, as long as you don't forget that regardless of your desire to fly, you're still a human. Okay? So if you're trying to shove the pen in the auxiliary and, and thinking that the pen is going to play music when you do that, you're in need of some help about what pens are. Okay? Because if you're mad that the pen's not playing music, then you have, 
a pen identity crisis, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm using, I use hyperbole a lot to make a point. That make sure that what you're angry about is not about that the pen can't play music. It might be a better investment to get an auxiliary cable and like an MP3 player. Um, so now my question is, why is it called the mystery of repentance? Absolutely. What is the what is happening in this mystery? To restore ourselves. Okay. I want you guys to understand everything, because when we think of of, of the mystery of repentance, most people think it's I stand, I sit there and I say all the bad things that I did and how filthy I am, and then God takes this magic eraser and goes like this because of the story of Saint Moses the Black, right? And so we're all like, did I did I get everything on the list? What do you do when you're sick and you go to a doctor and he writes you a prescription? Medication. And what is the medication doing? It's remedying, right? And so what we're saying in the mystery is precisely what you said, right? And that this is a synergy of God's work with mine. But what I think we forget is that something is happening, right? The mystery of Eucharist Elements, normal daily elements, are changing. Bread and, and wine are becoming body and blood, actually. Right? I can't see it. I can't take it under a microscope. That's not a thing. Okay? And, and find blood cells. Um, but that something happened, and this thing that was this is no longer this thing. It's now another. It's another this. In the baptism um, mystery, we're saying that something happened that changed my fallen nature into the restored nature. Something happened. It's not just a, a dunking game because it's cute, right? And then when I chrismate somebody, something happened. It wasn't like, oh, we like to oil them up because then they're like, no. The Holy Spirit has come into this being. And repentance and confession is no less a mystery is that God is doing a therapy on you. That's why treatment needs to be regular, right? Is that you are now getting a treatment because you are sick. You are spiritually sick. You can't physically see it. Sometimes you can, because it will have physical manifestations in how you conduct yourself, your choices, sometimes even with disease. But something is going on here. And part of this has to do with truth. Part of this is a liberation for you. Right? Of saying, your choices have bound you. I am releasing you. That's why the church uses the language of bonding and loosing. That language isn't supposed to be used in terms of holding you accountable or not holding you accountable. It's about being freed or bound by your decisions. Right? You can sell yourself into slavery. And you can ask someone, can you free me? And it's like, yes, I can free you. Right? But you can choose to go back to it. Right? You, you, always, have that, you always have that will. But truth is illuminating for you what it is that's making you sick, right? It's going in and finding out, oh, the reason why you're feeling so ill is because you have these and these and these. You have this disease, or you're, you have this allergy, or it's like, hmm, 
it seems like your kidneys aren't working quite right. Um, but there is a remedy for this, or there isn't a remedy for this, but we can fix this. There's a whole bunch of things that we can do. And there are different injuries that we can have. Go ahead. Yeah. I don't smoke before, I have nothing, you know, I, why I repent, I don't smoke. But for some people, maybe they smoke for twice, three times, it's easier to get rid of this and repent. But for some people who smoke for like 15, 20 years, and they smoke 10 cigarettes every day, now they are slaves. They're slaves, completely slaves, and it's not easy to get out of this slavery. Mm -hmm. And the Satan is like, Telling them now you are hurting yourself. It's like the setting game. It's like first you are sad, smoke this, smoke that, or drink this, and then after that, people are not able to get out of this, and the setting begin to mock them and say, you know, why did you do this to yourself? You cannot get out of it. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking about different stages. So it's yeah. like this stage, like 15, 20 years of smoking or being alcoholic. How can this person get rid of this level? Let me come back to that because I want to talk about our attitude towards sin before answering that, okay? Um, if someone insults you or injures you, how does it affect you? It upsets you, okay? It hurts, right? Are, can we agree it's negative? Um, just because I don't want to, I, I asked too many. I like questions of value, um, and I agree with you, right? If you couldn't care less about the person and they told you you're dumb, you, you're not going to care. But um, the reason why I'm asking that is because, again, keep in mind the theme of this, of this, this retreat, like, fix your mind, essentially, right? Fix your mindset. Remember that you're dealing with God as a relationship. You're not dealing with God as an object. So if you're viewing God as an object then you've got this little ball that doesn't like things being done to it. But if you're dealing with God relationally, you're dealing with a being. And so if you can start to understand sin as being something that goes against a person rather than a thing, it changes how you view what you've done. Just like you're offended or hurt when someone does something to you. And we're ascribing certain emotions to God, right? But in the sense that God's saying, I didn't have to make you, I made you. I didn't just make you, I gave you my identity. I gave you something that no one in existence received, no one. No creature got the image and likeness of God other than humanity. Even the angels did not get this. This is why St. Paul says, angels long to look into these things, right? They, they hover over the Eucharist, and we'll talk about some of these stories on Sunday, people have seen this, the angels that are hovering over Eucharist, in awe and trembling, that we're participating in like it's breakfast like to go, okay? So if I understand that I'm dealing with a, a being, right, and that I'm saying this gift that you gave me, nah, right? Imagine you bought something for somebody and you bought them like a beautiful, I don't know, a suit or something, and they put it on their table, and they're like, I ran out of plates, so I'm putting my eggs on it. This is so handy, thank you so much. Right? Like, you're going to be like, That's, that was a $1,000 suit. Wow. Like, I'm not buying you a suit. Um, God doesn't say that. 
right? But I'm saying if you understand that about your image and likeness, this is, then you should view sin in a completely different way because there's two extremes that we're going to see with sin. There's people who are like, I'm a human and this is my state, okay? And then there's another one that's like, oh my gosh, I sinned, I'm going straight to hell, right? And neither extremes of this are, are right, okay? But I have to view things in terms of, of relationship. Um, I'm not going to ask these as questions, I'm just going to state them. Does something get damaged when something gets done wrong? Yes. Right? If I have a relationship with somebody and they've gone completely, if I'm married to someone and they are unfaithful to me, something got damaged. Right? I might not be able to articulate the specific thing. I could call it trust. I could call it fidelity. I could call it a whole bunch of things, but something got damaged. Um, and I was going to ask you, how does one right a wrong? Expecting an answer of, it depends. Um, and so I was going to give a whole list of things I'm not, because if it was, a, if it was a, a physical damage, you can be like, okay, I'll replace it, right? If it was like I lost it, like I can try and get another one. There's different ways you can try and quote unquote make up for it. But what if it's something that has to do with dignity? What if it has something to do with health? What if it has to do with trust? Um, what if it has to do with the integrity of a relationship? Can you fix it? And can you fix it instantaneously, right? Is saying sorry enough to say, I, I cheated on you and I'm, I'm just sorry? Everyone's like, oh, no problem. Some would, some would. But in the majority of cases, would they? I'm not, I'm not so sure. Um, and I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. If you have a child and you tell them, if you do such and such, then this will happen. Do you think the such and such should happen? If you say, if you don't do this, you're not going to get your allowance, for, for example, should you follow through with that? Why? I want you to be able to articulate why. Okay, take it further. If it'll deter them from doing it again. I want you to get more into the substance of is there an objective answer to why it should, that you should follow through? Yes, exactly, but I want you to go take it to what we were talking about in the first lecture and link it. Take it further. Build on, on what he said. Thank you. It's about truth. Either something is true or false, okay? And so when God said, for example, when you eat of the tree, you will die, this wasn't a punishment. It's a natural consequence. It was a true statement, right? It wasn't, I'm, I'm choosing to kill you, right? It wasn't the day you eat of the tree, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kill you. It was when you do this, you die. It was a statement, right? Which is, which is why he also wanted a solution for it. Okay, and so 
that is why a person should follow through because either what you said was true or not. If you don't, it means that you're saying something's true but not really. You're saying, this is right, but I mean it could be wrong, so I guess it's not really right. And so that causes confusion, right? Then it's just like, well, then I don't exactly know what I'm supposed to do. Um, and that's why it's not enough to just say, well, my kid said sorry. Because if you make it just what your kid's saying sorry, then the objective was not something real. The objective was I just need someone to say sorry to me for something. I got my sorry, now I can move on. That's not the identity of God. And so if I view sin that way, as an apologetic di discourse with God, um, that's a really crummy relationship. And that's where most of us live, right? And that's where most of us live. That's why most of us hate spiritual life, because it's so negative, right? Then it's just about what I'm sorry for and what I'm bad um, about. So in order to understand repentance, one has to understand sin. We talked about health. Sin is going against my health. Sin is going against the image and likeness of God. We've established that. Um, so I'll ask the question because this is a hot debate and everybody fights about it and it's getting kind of old. Is there such thing as punishment? Yes and no. Okay? In Hebrew, there's not really a word for punishment the way we understand it today. Okay? And so punishment in, in, is, is more in line with what we'd call chastisement today. Okay? And that it's restorative. Right? So I can't deny that a good father, a good parent, it says, what the psalm says, whom he loves, he chastises the children. Right? I wouldn't say that Hananiah and Sapphira had a really pleasant time when they lied to the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, is there such thing as chastisement? Absolutely. But you need to understand chastisement as restorative. If somebody, to use a health analogy, if someone's shoulder pops out, what's their punishment? If I, if I want to use it in the proper sense of the Hebrew word of punishment, to push the shoulder back in. That's painful. Right? What's the, the, what's the punishment for breaking a bone? It's resetting it. That's painful. And you're immobile with that arm for a while until, until you can use it again, right? And so if you're going to use punishment language, then understand it right, right? But not in the sense of here's these lists of rules, and God's like, hmm, stealing. Let's take a kid. Uh, this was his first time. Just give him four months of misery, um, and he'll fail his exam. If that's what you think punishment is, absolutely not, right? Like, this, is, this, this, go, this isn't even what God is interested in, right? And so, you're, if, you're, if you view punishment like that, no. I prefer the word chastisement, but I want to say that the word punishment can be used correctly. I just think it usually isn't, so I don't prefer to use the word, okay? But if I look at it as chastisement, then I understand the restorative nature. That's why you have movements, even within America, um, of having a restorative justice system rather than a punitive justice system, right? Of saying that if you're just saying there's a penalty for doing these wrongs and you just sit there, I haven't fixed anything, right? Versus restorative. Um, so this is what the Christian concept of justification is, okay? Justification is, say, to make something right again. And so chastisement can be part of that process of, or process, um, of... <laughs> making someone right again. It's saying, here's the ruler. You're bent. I need to tie you to this stick the way that we do to like a vine for your own sake to make you stand straight again. Right? And that you need to willingly submit to that. God doesn't come and tie you up. Right? That's why synergy matters in this. Because God's not going to come and repent for you. 
God's not going to come and tie you to the ruler and be like, I'm making you straight again. Just trust me, right? I have to be saying, God, I want to be made straight again. That looks really painful. Um, and God's not going to be like, yeah, it was your fault if you hadn't done that. Like, that's not how he talks to you, right? But that I, I have to be set right again. So can you live in a state of sin? Absolutely. If you live in a disposition against your nature, you are living in sin. Even as a baptized, sacramentally participating person, you can be living in sin. And God hates sin the same way he did in the Old Testament. That didn't change. The remedies for it changed. His attitude towards sin, not sinners, his attitude towards sin never changed. So might God punish you for your sin? Yeah, maybe. But again, with the understanding of chastisement, not in terms of just pie in the sky doling out justice. Um, can sin prevent you from hearing God? Yes, it can. Right? These are things that we're sometimes uncomfortable with. But the answer is, yeah, it can. If I'm diseased, I don't enjoy health. Right? I know I overuse this analogy. If you're some poor person that's famished in some country where there's no food, and you've been brought into the ICU, and you're on IV drip with TPN, um, that, those are not the same thing. Um, are you, are you going to be excited if somebody's like, do you want to go for a run? Right? You're going to want to slug him in the face. Right? And being like, like what, what do you think? What do you think? Right? Like, who is this guy? Right? And this is why it's, it's, it's like that rattle in the car that you first hear. You have a brand new car and everything is good, and then you hear a rattle. The first time you hear it, you're like, oh, there's a, there's a funny noise. Because you're in a state of health, you're sensitive to the noise. Because your car is in good shape, you can notice it. When you say, I'm not going to take it in, you accustom yourself to the noise. You don't notice new things. Right? You don't realize that the noise got louder until it's like so loud that the car breaks down. Right? Or you ignored the service engine light that came on. And so it started off with one real issue. And now there's seven. And you have absolutely no idea what is actually wrong with your car. Yeah, you don't hear anymore. That's a thing. It doesn't mean that God, when necessary, can't speak over that noise. He can. But God doesn't force people against their will. And so you're sick. So you might not hear God. That matters in the way that you view repentance. Because if you just, again, view repentance as a legal issue, you're missing out on a much more deep relationship as with your God, where it's like, you actually, the real problem with repentance is not the law. The real problem with repentance, the problem with, with sin is you, you're not in contact with, with the source of your life. You've divorced yourself from dead. And, and you didn't even realize it. That means what you value is you, to go back to your point again. Um, and so sin can prevent you from participation in grace. Some of you might want to strangle me for saying that, and I want to make it clear what I mean for saying that. The fountain of God's grace is never off, ever, period. There's no qualification for that, right? God's grace is never not on. That's not a Protestant concept. That's a Christian concept. God's grace is always flowing. What's not is my willingness to receive from it. And so I can have my rich uncle who's trying to give me cash, and I'm like, nope, my dignity. Or, no, I just don't want to do that. Or, nope, you're trying to control me. I can have all sorts of reasons why I am saying no to taking free money. Or I can position myself 
where I'm not in contact with rich uncle. And so if I'm not even near him, I can't reach out and take it. And so what some people confuse for grace is saying, I want you to follow me wherever I go. Right? I love that you want to give me free money. So I moved to Australia. You live in Canada. You should fly to Australia just to give me money. You're rich. That's what we're saying sometimes. Right? And so my sin is, 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 is all of those refusals of grace. Right? It's me saying for whatever reason, because there's different kinds of sins, there's different intense intentions, there's different motivations. It's me saying I don't want to be in contact with that. And, and, and sometimes you don't even realize that's what you're saying. It's not always malicious, right? In the same way that I can become unhealthy unintentionally, right? So I'm not here to say you're all bad, you're all evil. I'm saying, I'm talking about the nature of sin, period, regardless of what brought you to that state, right? The diagnosis of how you did, that's a thing for you and your, and your, your mentors. Um, but I want you to know that you might not be hearing God because of your sin. And if you don't realize that, you might be stumbling around in the dark trying to figure out, why don't I feel healthy? And it might be because of something you're doing. Um, and that makes you also feel negatively about your spirituality. How many of you have actually felt like annoyed when someone said, let's pray? I have. Absolutely. Right? Where I'm like... Okay, here we go, right? Or it's like, let's do Tezbaha right now. It's like, um, yeah, you start. Um, <laughs> I, I forgot I have an assignment, right? I, I don't feel like it. Um, I'm not saying that you have to always, like that a perfect holy person always enjoys Tezbaha. But what I am trying to say is that, I'll tell you something, I'll get really vulnerable on you. This is, this is me as a priest like a month ago. There was a sin I was 100% intent on doing. I had decided. I'm doing it. Um, and, I was, and I was in this mental state of, of, of fighting, of being like, I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it. Right? And I'm, I'm asking God, literally, I'm just like, you need to help me not want to do it, because right now I'm not even a not want to do it. I, I want to do it. Right? And I'm sitting there in a Bible study, and there's a priest giving it, a good friend of mine, and it's totally impromptu. He didn't know he was doing it. And, and it was words directed at me. Right? And I'm like, yeah, God, I know exactly what you're saying. Nope. Doing it. <laughs> and then I went to this woman's house who sees the Virgin Mary regularly. St. Mary shows up to her. Abuna is like tripping for joy. And I'm like, hi, I'm still doing it. <laughs> and the Virgin Mary, the Theotokos, is present. Because if my disposition towards sin is there, I'm not feeling happy even at something beautiful. Judas was one of the 12. He saw this woman at the feet of Christ, and he's like, that's so dumb. He hated what she did. And he hated even more Christ's reaction to her. He's like, that's so lame. This, this can't be the guy. It was his disposition. Right? And so my disposition of sin can make me not participate in grace because I don't like grace. And I have to understand that. Right? Because the only way to repent is to know that. Right? If I don't know that, I can't fix it. Because what is repentance? It's change of heart. It's what you guys said. It's, it's to realign. It's to renew. It's to reform. It's to say, I won't do that anymore. I won't think that anymore. 
That's all repentance is. It's a really, really, really simple concept. Repentance is not, I will go heap ashes upon my head, right? And I will not eat for 12 days for each of the apostles because I have broken my apostolic mission, right? And use these really <laughs> grandiose, like, things. That might be a cool exercise to do. By all means, like, like have fun. But that's not what repentance is, okay? And it's, that's not what's going to fix me. And so the mystery of repentance is that I have to say, enough, stop, don't think that, don't do that. This is where the synergy comes in. And then I have to recognize that I can't make myself healthy. I have to have that willingness to be healthy. I have to do the human side of trying to be healthy. And then I have to present myself to God and say, I need you to help me be healthy again. And God is going to say, no problem, Habibi, come. Um, and um, I'm with you the long shot. Because this kind of disease, for example, might be something you just, you got a paper cut, right? But maybe actually um, you're so far in disease, as you said, that's what I want to come to it later, of saying this disease doesn't get cured overnight because I want you to be restored properly to health, right? And so this is, this is where this energy comes in. So sin is a mistake. That's all, right? Sin is a disease. And there are varying seriousnesses to disease, right? Cancer is not the same as a paper cut. Epididitis C is not the same as a second degree burn. But sin is equal in terms of that they're all disease. Because I hear everybody use the, the cliche like, um, all sin is the same, and often to justify not being serious about a particular thing. Yeah, all sin is disease. Not all disease has the same severity. Okay, let's be, let's be real about that. Um, so what is repentance? It's so simple, it's to go on a diet. Okay, it's to stop doing the thing that damages the car. It's to stop doing the behaviors that do the thing that's wrong. That is all repentance is. And that's how you live a life of repentance. By always asking, is what I am doing in line with my identity? It's that simple. That's how you live a life of repentance. Right? And so when you read, so when you read things in the Igbeya like, um, um, I'm about to stand before the just judge and be We're not always in that state of mind, and that's okay. Right? Understand who's writing that and where he comes from. Right? It's like a guy who cheated on his wife, right? went to his wife, and his wife said, I forgive you. But then he keeps coming back saying, no, but I'm really, really sorry. And so he's like, no, I don't deserve you. I'm filth. I'm scum, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This might be a beautiful expression of love, right? But the important thing to understand here, the reason I'm using it, why I'm even bringing that up, is to say, you need to understand that that's not what God is demanding from you, right? The wife is not saying, I accept you only when you come to me groveling every day and accept that you're filth and scum and that I, you don't deserve me, right? Then that's not a really loving, kind relationship, Right? That's a conditional one. Right? It's, it's you saying, here's how I feel about you, which shows the sign of your relationship, which goes back to all that you guys said about your valuing of the relationship. If you value it highly, you're going to have an emotional response because your emotions are indicators of your value. I hope you're seeing where these all link. And so if I value this thing, I'm going to be emotional about it. This is why somebody might be really crying over this sin. That's why I'm not saying it's wrong to cry over your sins. I'm saying don't think that repentance is crying over your sin. Somebody who's repentant may cry. 
but that you can repent and not cry. They're not, they're not, they're not have, having to be in the same thing. So then what is forgiveness? It's grace. It's taking the car to the dealer and saying the light's on, and I decide to stop driving it while it's dangerous. And that the dealer can say, oh, you caused this problem because you know, you've been pressing the gas and the brakes at the same time. You shouldn't do that. Um, and being, oh, right? And then, and then not doing it. It's that eureka moment of, oh. Um, it is no business of man, this is from Father Matthew the Poor, to justify the ungodly. We said justification is to make right. No human being makes you right. Not me, not the Pope, not Peter, okay? Not a random saint. No human being makes you right. And yes, I believe in the sacraments. If you understand the sacrament, you understand the grace of God that is working, not the human being. If any human presumes to think they can set somebody right, no, they can't. Right? That is why anybody who is charged with the responsibility or a charism of spiritual guidance better be always praying, God, your kid, not mine, fix them. You fix them. Right? But no human being is the one making you right. He cannot. It is a divine action. Almost done, Jenny. Um, so is it possible to repent but feel like I like sin? Yes. So I can, I can value health and love junk food. They're not mutually exclusive. What matters is the choice that I make. As I get more healthy, I may come to not like junk food. I might. But don't assess your spiritual life or your level of repentance based on how you feel about the wrong. We're all going to, that's why I'm saying I'm, I'm to your detriment a priest. And I'm talking about a month ago of saying, no, I'm doing it, God. I'm eating freaking junk food, right? And I know it's junk food, and I know I'm going to feel sick, and I know it's going to mess me up, and I know I'm going to regret it, and I am doing it 100%. Don't, I don't recommend that, right? But I'm just saying that that's not inconsistency, right? That's, that is what it means to be human, is that you have this. So repentance is actually, I love the way Winnemetha says this, it's a second victory of faith, it's coming back like you were as a new believer saying, God, I believe. Anybody who came to Christ, especially in the Gospel of John, anyone who came to Christ saying, please, Christ always asked them the question, do you believe? Always ask that. Look at the Gospel of John. There's no exception. Do you believe? If you believe, I'll do it. Right? And actually, he doesn't say, if you believe, I'll do it, because one person says to him, I believe, help my unbelief, which is, yeah, kind of not really. Help me out here. I'm trying. And Christ says, boom. He doesn't say, come back when, uh, when you figured it out. He says, no, I'll do it. Repentance is a second victory of faith. It's saying, I believe. I believe that you can make me well. I believe that you can raise me from the dead. I am submitting myself to you, and I'm saying, fix me. I tried, and I can't. Right? I, I, I want to become a different person. I want to be conformed to image and likeness. I don't know how to do that. Only you can make right because you became man. And so understand. So I'm talking about the dangers of sin because I think we undermine sin or we overdo sin. But remember that you are in the image and likeness of God. And so sin and repentance have nothing to do with the state of your identity. You are never not, ever not, a son or daughter of God. 
ever, no matter what you're doing, no matter how heinous of a crime you might be committing, you never cease to be the image and likeness of God and his valued son or daughter, ever. That has to be solid in your mind because if you don't believe that, then these things that you said, that's why I asked them, of anger, disappointment, blah, 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 those are going to dominate. Then it's going to be like, I can't go back to God. He's mad. Right? That's why I don't like when we say, Father Jesus will be upset with you. No, that's not a right teaching to give to somebody. Right? Because then it makes a person fear reconciliation. Instead of having a joyous expectation of running to them, then, then, I'm, then I'm, I'm not going to. I never cease to be loved. And so if I understand this, then I'll see repentance as an even deeper mystery. That repentance is my response of love to a loving father. It's saying, you already love me. I, want, I now want to love you back, is what it's saying. You haven't stopped loving me. I'm not loving you. If I did, I would value you first. That's why I ask about value. Do I value more than my comfort? Do I value you more than, insert whatever it is that I chose to do? Promotion, money, sex, whatever it is, right? Career, it can be a whole bunch of things, right? But it's to re realign to that truth of valuing him first. God came for sinners. We're in a really good place, right? Because that's who he came for. So luckily, if you see yourself as diseased, you're really lucky. So repentance is very, very easy. You just come and say sorry, and God removes it from you, or sorry, um, and it will not be severing you from God. But it is not your penance that saves you. It is not your matanyas that save you. It is not the days you fasted. Even though those might be good acts to do as part of a repentance, they don't make you forgiven. It's not spiritual exercises. It's not the priest that forgives you. Right? The absolution prayer that the priest says is saying, God, you said do this. I don't dare to think I can forgive sins. You need to do this. If you listen to what the priest is saying in the absolution, he's not saying, by the power invested in me, by the Holy Spirit. Right? He's not saying that. He's saying, God, you do this work through your apostles that I happen to have entered into their labor who you appointed. You, Trinity, you do your thing. And I'm standing here. Forgive me too. That's what the absolution prayer is saying. Right? That's why even the priest, when he's praying liturgy in his private prayers, it says, God, please, because of my own sinfulness, deprive not the people of your coming down upon these. Right? Don't let the people lose the sacrament because of how messed up I am. Absolve me first and them. When he's choosing the lamb, he says, he says Lord, please, not because of, because of my sins or the ignorance of your people. Right? It's forgiving for the people, saying they just don't know. For me, no, this is a real sin. Right? This is, this is, it's not the priest who forgives you. The good Samaritan have that in front of you. Right? Sin makes you on the road, tattered, you're, 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 you're bruised, you're unconscious, you're, dis you're covered in blood. And the good Samaritan comes to you and picks you up and takes you to the inn. And St. Cyril of Alexandria says, Christ is the Samaritan, Christ is the guy of the innkeeper, and that, that inn is the church. I'm saying, just come, throw them in there. Throw them in there and let the physician do that. Don't waste your time trying to figure it out. Throw yourself at God. That's repentance. It's very, very, very simple and very, very beautiful. So if sin is death, repentance is life. And it is only made possible by the incarnation of our Lord. 
right? He took what is ours and gave us what is his. He said, I'll take your fallen nature. I'll fix it. I, I, I told you to be in my image and likeness. I'll show you. I'll show you. I'll make it possible. And I'm going to give you things that don't belong to you. That's talk four. These things that don't belong to you. Because your faith is not actually complete if you reject the existence of such things. Right? Is that he's saying, I'm more than happy. I can take you who's been sleeping with every like, second person you see, with every app that you can think of, and I can make you into something completely different. Just let me. I don't care about that. Just say I'm done. This is what he's willing to do. If you want to know why you're not repenting, ask yourself what is stopping you. Ask yourself what you're valuing, because the thing that's, in, that's the thing, I'll get to it, I'm finally done, it's the last sentence. The thing that's stopping you, that is exactly what is enslaving you. That is what you're a slave to, that truth needs to be liberating you from. Don't confuse your emotions for fact, okay? Conform yourself to truth, and when you do that, you'll understand that repentance is liberation. That's what repentance is. Um, glory to him forever, amen.